This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We are working our way through the most famous sermon in history, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we need to be clear about something. Uh, Even a cursory reading of the sermon will reveal that it is chock full of instructions. It is command after command. And you will encounter verses like chapter 5, verse 20, which says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this, uh, you know, so many instructions, you know, verses like that, it can easily lead us to think that what the sermon is about is telling us that how we gain entry into the kingdom of heaven is by chalking up on our righteous deeds, that we need to perform all these righteous deeds in order to get in. But we need to remember what we read last week, that Jesus says that he has come to fulfill the law. And the way I go about thinking about this is to think about the law as expressed in Ezekiel chapter 36, where God promises in that part of the Old Testament that he will do something. He will, in the light of his people's you know, constant rebellion and sin, he will do something. He will give them his spirit. He will cleanse them. He will take their heart of stone that causes them to sin and replace it with a new heart so that they can live uh, in light of his truth and his law. It is something that God says he will do. And so what Jesus is talking about in this sermon is not how we must chalk up more righteous deeds by human effort. But rather this sermon is about how God is working in us to have righteous hearts by His grace. So the sermon is not about needing to perform and chalk up more righteous deeds by our human effort. But the sermon is about how God is giving us new hearts by His divine grace. You see in chapter 4 verse 23, that Jesus says, or Matthew says that Jesus is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And this good news of the kingdom is uh, captured for us here in the Sermon on the Mount. This is good news. This sermon is about what God has done and not about what we must do to get in. So hopefully that is clear. Uh, And so our passage today is about the sort of new heart, that new heart that God is working in us by His grace that we should have. So please uh, join me as we ask God to help us as we think and study His Word. Father, please feed your people. Father, we come here uh, from different walks of life, with different situations, and you are the God who knows you are the God who sees. Thank you for your promise that you are the one who will cleanse us and give us new hearts. Father, please help us to remember that it is not by our effort 
but it is what you are doing in Christ, in us. That's why we are in the kingdom, citizens of the kingdom. So Father, please make this clear to us. Father, please be at work in us. Please feed us. Father, please use even me. Uh, Though I am frail and weak, uh, the sermon does not need to be eloquent. I do not need to try to be funny. Thank you, Father, that you are the one who will speak. You are the one who will feed your people. So please nourish us in your truth that we might grow and we might mature in the Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Now you see in this uh, section that we are dealing with what Jesus calls acts of righteousness. Now, um, different generations have called these different things. Uh, Some generations have called these religious duties. Uh, It could be called religious practices. These are actions, uh, activities that a person who is devoted to God will do. Okay, when I was growing up, when I was a young Christian, uh, these were called disciplines. Okay, the disciplines of the Christian life. Okay, it's things that you do if you are seeking God. Okay, it's, it's more than just you know obeying the commandments. Okay, no, I don't steal. Okay, I don't murder. Okay, I don't commit adultery. Okay, no, okay, that's good. That's what Jesus dealt with in the previous section. But now he's focusing in on our acts of devotion, the things that we do. If we are seeking Him, the things that we do, if we are uh, wanting to know God and grow in our relationship with Him. So it's things like having a regular quiet time. It's things like coming to church. It's things like serving in church. It's even disciplines like reading good Christian books. And it's disciplines like what Jesus says here of giving, of praying, and fasting. Now, the assumption that Jesus makes here is that his disciples will be keen to practice these disciplines. But, uh, you know, I need to think because, you know, like my kids will be here in the second service. Okay, what, what if you are someone here and you are, you know, honestly, you have little to no desire to do most of these things? Okay, I mean, you're happy not to murder, you're happy not to commit adultery, but, you know, to fast and pray, uh, you know, to read Christian books, to do these disciplines, uh, it's not something that you are really interested to do. Okay, I'm not going to spend the sermon dealing with this because that's not what Jesus deals with. But can I just say, if we have very little desire to do these things, it may be because we do not know. Okay, our little desire to do these disciplines may be because we do not know how great, how gracious, how wonderful, how loving this God is. And that's why we, there is little desire to actually seek to know Him more. Okay, so if that is you, then maybe you can consider, okay, yeah, maybe the reason why I don't really pray more, I don't you know, really want to read the Bible is because I, I don't really know who this God is, just how wonderful, just how worthy, just how loving He is. And then, uh, you know, if you need help with that, please feel free to speak to uh, someone who can help you. Yeah. So, since we recognize that 
okay, these things are hard. You know, we recognize, okay, you know, few people desire to do these things. So shouldn't it be good enough that at least some of us are eager to do these religious acts, these disciplines? Shouldn't it be good enough? Well, Jesus makes it clear, no, it is not good enough. It is not enough. It is not good enough simply to do the duties. The motive of the heart must be right as well. And it makes sense, right? Because the Sermon on the Mount is not about more righteous deeds done by human effort. But it is about the new hearts that God is working in us by His grace. And so Jesus you know, narrows in on this and he says, not enough to just do. Your heart must be right because this is the new heart that he is eager to create in us. So let me read verse 1 where Jesus states the principle and then he proceeds to give three examples. But the principle is captured for us in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So that's the principle <clears throat> captured. And Jesus goes on to give three examples, three common uh, disciplines or acts of piety, of giving, praying, and fasting. So the way I want to go about uh, talking about this section is to ask four questions <clears throat> uh, on this section. And the first question is, what is Jesus warning against? What is he warning against? And it's clear that what he is warning us is that to be performing these religious duties to be seen by other people. You know, warning us, don't do these things for the motivation of wanting to be seen. You see there in uh, verse 2, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. So you see, the, in the religious duty of giving these people who are, can you believe it, announcing it with trumpets. Okay, I mean, obviously, nobody does it you know, like that, this way. But in our context, you could have people who give uh, to the church and they make a big deal about it. Uh, or, or, or you know, organizations that give to the poor and there's this giant check, you know, and then there's the publicity. And all this is announcing with trumpets, doing it so that people can see. And uh, when Jesus deals with uh, prayer, he says in verse 5, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. So the background to this is that at certain times in the day, there would be a signal that the pious Jews should pray. And so these hypocrites, they would make sure that, okay, at this time, I will be standing at the street corner. So that, oh, when a signal comes from the temple, I can, I can stop what I'm doing and pray. And why they stand at the street corner, obviously, is because if you just stand on the street, then only one street can see you. But if you stand on the street corner, whoa, then you can be seen by more people. So they will arrange for themselves to be standing there at that time, and when the signal comes, 
many people will see their piety, their fervent prayers offered up to God. They are doing it to be seen. And verse 16, talking about fasting, uh, you know, fasting means to go without food, uh, not just, you know, just fasting from social media. And so when they go without food, they want people to know that they are, you know, haggard and, you know, they haven't, they, they haven't eaten for three days and so they will make themselves look, you know, terrible, haggard. So the people will see, oh, yeah, wow, so religious, so holy, so committed. Oh, Jesus is getting at the motive of our hearts. When we do these things, what is the motive? Is it to be seen by others? Is it to be praised by others? You know, when we think about, okay, doing these things, is it, is it so that people will think a certain way of me? You see, it is the motive of wanting to be noticed. It is the motive of wanting to gain a certain reputation, to make a certain impression on others. And Jesus calls this hypocrites. These are the hypocrites. The people who put on a mask and put on a show. On the outside, they are doing these duties. And doing these duties to seek God, to want to know Him, to grow in devotion, that's what they are showing on the outside. But on the inside, what is actually happening is they are motivated by the applause, the approval of other people. Now I hope you can see how this, uh, you know, how Jesus is putting His finger on a, a very real issue in our lives. There is a student that I have who is very articulate in his praying. Now, I'm not going to make a judgment on you know, what's his motivation or you know, whether he's praying to be seen by others, but I realize that whenever I have to pray after him, I am concerned that my prayers should be at least as articulate as his. Because I don't want to be outdone by my student. I mean... So I see that uh, happening, and in so many ways, uh, what Jesus says is so true. We all need to be asking ourselves. We all need to be examining the deep motives of our hearts, and to do this regularly. Am I doing this so that I will create this impression? Am I doing this so that this person, that person will think a certain way of me? So this is the warning that Jesus issues. The second question I want to ask is, what is the result? What is the result if we do not heed Jesus' warning? What's the result if we don't heed his warning? Well, Jesus makes clear. Verse 2, he says of the people, Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Same thing he says in verse 5 and verse 16. So he makes clear, if your motive, if you give in to the temptation to do these things for the applause and the approval of others, then you will get it. But that is all you will get. That is the result. You will have received your reward in full. That is all you will get. Now let's be, let's be honest. There is a reason why we are tempted to 
want the applause and approval of others. It is, it is a nice thing. I mean, it sends a, a thrill, right, to you when people notice, when they say something good about you. I remember when I was a, a student attending the World Assembly, you know, student ministries in Korea, uh, my floor level, together with you know other Korean students and you know students from other countries, we had organized an impromptu prayer meeting, and it grew from you know uh, you know six of us to thirty, fifty, eighty students coming nightly, you know, and we were praying for countries where you know the student ministries are just setting up, you know, countries where there is a, a lead in a band. On, on students meeting on campus, you know, praying for a breath, and it grew to 80 people. And then as I was going around the conference, Korean girls would come up to me and say, oh, you are the one that's the organizer of this prayer meeting. Oh, so nice to meet you. Back then, you know, the Korean wave haven't hit yet. If not, I would be even more, you know, uh, happy and true. But yeah, see, it feels good. Right? Honestly, it feels good. And sometimes it feels really good. But the thing that we need to be clear about, this applause, this recognition of people, how long does it last? I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it is temporal, it is fleeting, compared to what God will give us. So, uh, that's the result. You will just get the applause, and that is all you will get. The third question I want to ask <clears throat> is, how is Jesus teaching us to instead do these duties? How is Jesus instead teaching us to do these disciplines? Well, he says in verse 3, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Now, obviously, Jesus is you know, using a figure of speech, a metaphor, a way of speaking that is exaggerated. I mean, there's no way that your left hand cannot know what your right hand is doing. I mean, right? That, that, this is the way God made us, and He's coming. Hey, what's this? You know, like, okay, that'll be really weird, right? So, by making the point that it should be so secret that you should strive not to make it known, so that you know, even yourself, like very soon, you will forget about it. It's not something that you keep thinking about, keep mulling over. Oh. I've sacrificed such a great deal. No, but to be done in secret, only for God to see and to know. Verse 6, he says, uh, regarding the discipline of prayer, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Now, obviously, Jesus is not telling us that we cannot pray in public. Then, if not, Eugene would have sinned so many times today already. And then there would be no point in us coming for a prayer meeting next week. Now his point is, are you praying in order to be seen? Do not do that. What is wrong is not the praying, and if it happens to be praying in public, or if it happens to be praying with your spouse, or with your children, or, or with a group, that is not what is wrong. What is wrong is if we are praying in order to be seen. And so in uh, Don Carson's book, he has these uh, questions that he says we must ask ourselves. We must ask ourselves these questions. Do I pray more frequently 
and fervently when alone with God than I do in public. In that private space, when the door is closed in the prayer closet, am I praying more frequently? Am I praying more fervently? Or are my more lengthy and fervent prayers, you know, the ones where there is, you know, uh, articulate use of words, the ones where there is an emotional itch to the, to the way you say it, are those the prayers that's done in public? Second question he asks is, do I love the secret place of prayer? Do I love the secret place of prayer? And the third question is my public praying simply the overflow of my private praying? So what is our honest answer? As we examine our hearts, what's our honest answer to these questions? Do they reveal that we are just like the hypocrites? That there is a reason why we pray more in public than we do in private? Because in public, There are people watching. There are people listening. So do they reveal if we are just like the hypocrites or do our honest answers to these questions reveal that by God's grace, even though we're not perfect, even though, you know, some of the answers, you know, yeah, it's 50-50, but uh, maybe some is 60-40, you know, but so do they reveal that by God's grace, there is a heart that God is working in us? a heart that is seeking after Him. Because that should be the right motive for engaging in these acts of discipline, these acts of devotion. Because the, the, the giving, the fasting, you know, the setting aside a time for quiet time, the reading of the Bible, the coming to church, I mean, the, the true and right motives for doing these things is not to be seen. But coming, coming to church, not because we want to be seen by our parents. I mean, for me, right, coming to church, I need to come to church, right? Because if, if, if I don't come to church, I'll be out of a job. But is, is that my motive, right? You know, and some people, they, they come to church because uh, they want to be seen by uh, the girlfriend or the boyfriend so that, oh, you know, I am someone who is a committed, serious Christian. I mean, what is our motives for engaging in these acts of discipline? The right and true motive is to be seeking after God, to by His grace, having as much as possible a single-minded, a whole-hearted wanting to know Him, wanting to please Him, wanting to grow in our relationship with Him. Now, even as I say that, I'm not there. And I know you are thinking, I'm so far from that. But remember, the Sermon on the Mount is not about us by our human effort, producing these righteous deeds. But it is about what God, by His grace in Christ, is working in us. So the fourth question I want to ask is, what is the result? What is the result when we do do our acts of devotion like that? When we listen to Jesus and by His grace seek to do these disciplines this way? Well, He says it, Three times, uh, exactly the same way in verse 4, verse 6, verse 18. What does he say? Verse 4. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, 
will reward you. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, we're going to be talking about what this reward is. But first notice and first feel the impact that Jesus says, your Father sees. I mean, just take a moment for that to sink in. Your Father sees. There is no hiding from Him. Right? We may be able to fool each other. And we can, most of the time, very easily fool each other. But before the God who sees all and knows all, there's no point pretending. Your Father sees. And we need to remind ourselves as often as possible. My Father sees. He sees my heart. He knows me. He knows my motives. So there's no point pretending. So it's better to just come before Him and confess. I want to do this thing, but you know my motives. You know, I'm tempted to do it so that so and so would think highly of me. Please help me. Our Father sees. But here Jesus is saying, the one who sees us, who sees what we do, these acts of devotion that we do in secret, not for the praise of men, but we do it in order to seek Him, your Father will reward you. Now, there are people who are uncomfortable with, you know, talk of this reward. And, um, you know, definitely if someone is giving and he makes sure that no one else knows, okay, His giving is done totally in secret. But the reason why he gives is because he thinks that if I give 1,000, God will reward me 10 times. So somehow my business will grow and I'll get $10,000 back. That's the reward. Now, obviously there's something wrong with this person's motives. Yes, he's not giving for the sake of people's applause, but he is giving ultimately for his own benefit and for his own you know, to, to get richer. Now, this is not the type of reward that Jesus is speaking of here. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I think, helpfully distinguishes between extrinsic rewards and intrinsic rewards. What is an extrinsic reward? That is the one that I just described, where you do something and the reward you get is extrinsic to the activity. It's just like, a, you know, this uh, church friend of mine back in Australia who bought his son a new car because he did well in his studies. So he rewarded his son with a brand new car. I mean, he told his son, okay, if you study hard, you achieve this grade, you get a, a new car. This will be your reward. But we can notice that the reward is extrinsic to the activity. The, the, the son, if he put in all these hours, go for tuition to study hard, wasn't studying hard to learn and to grow and to be better at this discipline. He was studying hard to get the car. That is an extrinsic reward. An intrinsic reward is, for example, when you enjoy running and you discipline yourself to get up and you go through, you know, you run and the reward you get comes from the activity, the 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 consummation, the benefit that the activity itself confers upon you. So you discipline yourself to run. The reward you get is that you enjoy running more. You run better. You run faster. You get that bit more healthier and fitter. 
the intrinsic reward of a man who loves a woman is that he receives his reward of being able to care for her and love her and be committed to, 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 to her as, 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 his, as a husband for life. That is his reward for his commitment and love for this woman. So I think the reward that Jesus is speaking of here obviously is not the extrinsic reward that we do these things and then we get a bigger mansion in heaven. Or we do these things and then we get blessed materially on earth. But the reward, what, is the, what should be the reward of engaging in these disciplines? These disciplines to know God and want to grow in Him and wanting to please Him, what should be the intrinsic reward? I think the intrinsic reward is that you do get to know Him better. That you do grow in intimate relationship with God. That God rewards these disciplines of you know, setting aside time to read His Word, not so that people can say, wow, you're so holy. The, the discipline of fasting, going without food so that okay, I can have this time, I can be devoted, I can remind myself that God is more important, that I need God more than I need food. What is the intrinsic reward of doing these disciplines with the right motive? The, the reward is that you get more of God. Now, in the here, that there is a growing in your knowledge of Him, there is a growing intimacy of your relationship with Him. That is a reward now. Uh, at least that is what I think. Okay, so I want to move on from uh, talking about this principle, this warning that Jesus has uh, given us, to spend some time on the prayer. How we should not be babbling like the pagans and how Jesus here teaches us how we should pray instead. So you can see the prayer captured for us in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Now first, notice how Jesus teaches us to address God. It's something that we are so familiar with that we have taken for granted. He teaches us to address God as our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Remember when we studied Matthew chapter 1, and we said that the genealogy of the family tree of Jesus is full of outcasts, the scandalous, the foreigner. And this is the reason for that is because the, the family that Jesus comes from anticipates the family he has come for. Jesus has come to make the outcasts, the scandalous, the foreigner come. He has come to bring them into the family. And so one of the highest blessings of being a Christian. We read Ephesians chapter 1, so many blessings there. Redemption, forgiveness of sin, etc., etc. But the highest blessing there is that we should be predestined to be adopted as sons. That is the highest and richest blessing that Jesus has come, that we are brought in not just as citizens of the kingdom, but we are brought in as members of God's own family, so that we can address this God as our Father. And Jesus proceeds to give uh, six requests. The first three focus on the Father. And the second three are requests uh, for ourselves. 
Now note that the order is important. Right, that we pray first for the Father's business, and then we pray, you know, we, we request for ourselves. The order is important. Because when we think about God's concerns first, it will affect what we ask of ourselves. So very quickly, let me go through um, uh, each line of the prayer. Jesus says, Hallowed be your name. This is a request expressing our concern for God's reputation. That God's name should be revered as holy. Okay, it's a concern for His reputation. Your kingdom come. This is a request that concerns our Father's rule. That His sovereign rule should come and should be established. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a concern for our Father's plans. That His plans should be the one that succeeds, that is not thwarted, that will be fulfilled at the end of the day. And then we move on to requests regarding ourselves. And so, give us today our daily bread. This expresses our need for His provision. Forgive us our debts. This expresses our need for His pardon. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. This expresses our need for His protection. I want to encourage us to pray this prayer. I want to encourage us that if we are someone, you know, where the diagnostic questions, you know, do I pray more in public, more in private? You know, why, do, why don't I have a more, you know, greater desire to pray? Okay, if that is you and that is me, then one way to start is by pausing and taking time to learn what Jesus tells us to do here, to pray like this. Okay, we don't have to go with, to, you know, before God with all sorts of you know, flowery words, team, theological language. We just need to listen to what Jesus says here. I mean, this is a prayer that a five-year-old can memorize. It is that simple, but it is also profound and deep, and the scope is amazing. Okay, so I just want to encourage us, if you're struggling, and one reason we are struggling is because, like I said, it may be because we know little of how good, how wonderful, how loving this God is. And so when we come to this prayer, the first thing that Jesus reminds us is that this God, has made us his children. We have the profound privilege of approaching him and addressing him as our father. So one way to do it is you can use each line of the prayer to help you think of uh, things you can pray about in your life. Okay, so I'm, I'm just going to demonstrate that uh, by praying this prayer as we end this sermon. Okay, I haven't written anything down. I'm just going to use this prayer as a guide and pray and lead us in prayer doing that. So please uh, join me as we address our Father. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much that we can come before you and call you Father. Thank you so much that uh, I trust in some degree you have answered our prayer of feeding us with your word and you do so because you are our loving Heavenly Father. Hallowed be your name. 
Help us wherever you have placed us, that the way we conduct ourselves, the way we speak, that we should bring honour to your name. That there should, as much as possible, not be a slandering and a blaspheming of you because of our failures, of our weaknesses. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, thank you for reminding us in Ephesians chapter 1 that your will is that all things should be put under Christ, that he is the one who will reign and rule. And Father, there are so many things in our lives, so many things in our world where that is not the case. But please remind us and encourage us that your will, it will be done. Your kingdom will come. Christ will rule and reign over everything. And so, Father, please help us to, in our own ways, small or great, be trusting that and working towards that with whatever opportunity that you give us. Give us today our daily bread. Father, once again, thank you for feeding us, not just with physical food, but with spiritual food. Father, help us to trust that the grace that we need for today's challenges, the grace that we need for today's trials, you will supply. Help us not to worry about uh, the resources for tomorrow. Help us to trust you that you will provide what we need for today. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ, that because of what he has done, we can have the certainty that our sins are forgiven. And as we have been forgiven, help us, Father, to be readily wanting and desiring to forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, thank you that this is true. That though we live in this world where the flaming arrows of the evil one attack us in so many different ways, thank you that from the perspective of eternity we can look back. We can look back at so many different moments in our lives where we came so close to giving up. Where we came so close to just throwing it all in and, and turning away from Christ. But we can look back at those moments and see how you have delivered us, how you have protected us, how you have enabled us to keep on persevering in Christ. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.